Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a deck. Lights, 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 lights up. Lights up. Lights up. Lights up. A podcast by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. The cast of There's New Life Coming are as follows. Maggie Williams from Georgia plays Millie. Joyce Benson from Tennessee plays Doris. Lights up. Millie sits behind her desk with her computer. A woman enters, stands there, and looks around. Good morning. May I help you? I'm looking for the card catalog. We don't use a card catalog anymore. What? Why would you take that away? We use computers now. I don't know how to use one. Can you type? Of course. I use my IBM Selectric for all my mail. I don't have the best handwriting. When was the last time you were here? Probably 18 to 20 years ago, maybe more. I've been nursing my husband full time. I hope he's doing better. He passed away last month. I'm very sorry. Thank you. Can I help you find what you're looking for? I'm trying to remember the name of a book my daughter told me about. Do you remember the author? No, and I didn't write it down. That makes it a bit difficult. Well, I've spent so much time caring for my husband. My life has sort of passed me by. Not that he didn't deserve it. He was a wonderful man. Now, I don't know what to do with myself. I've lost my friends in the process because I couldn't leave him. My daughter works overseas, so we only talked on the phone. She wasn't able to help. So I'm kind of caught in this twilight zone. Suddenly, I have nothing to do, nowhere to go. I feel you don't want to hear all this. Yes, I do. And you've come to the right place. We're not only about books anymore. We have all the resources in the world right here, free. Let's look to see what books we have on grieving. I'd like to be able to use the computer. I'll give you some help after we look up your books. My daughter suggested a book on grieving. But honestly, I'd like a book on sex over 60. Uh, let me look up what we have. That's interesting. We have five different books, but they're all out. On grieving or sex? Grieving. Must be a bad month. What? Oh, (laughs) you're making a joke. I've always been a joker. I need a bit of humor in my life. I haven't wanted to joke in a long time. I can see that. Let's go online and see what articles we can find. Come over here. Millie moves to one of the library computers and sits down and types. Doris follows. How do they work exactly? I've read about computers in our newspaper. We get the paper every day. Every morning I read it to my husband from front to back, except the obituaries. He didn't like hearing the obits. I can understand that. I don't really get computers. They use them at our doctor's office, I know. We'll use a search engine and type in the subject line what we're looking for. There's an engine in there? That's amazing. So small. I'll put in grieving. A dead spouse. Yes. Because my friend Patricia grieved when her husband left her for a man, and he wasn't even that attractive. You expect gay men to be pretty and and, and well-groomed. He wasn't. Bald and fat. Good riddance, I say. So, here's the articles. Sit here and I'll show you how to scroll. Did you ever use a microfiche machine here? No, 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 no. My friend Gloria used to use them to check up on her boyfriends. She had so many. I don't know how she kept up with them. Now we use computers. So you use your fingers like this to move the article down as you read it? Try it. Not so fast. When you see an article that interests you, click on it. Doris looks up at Millie. Press down on the pad. 
like this. There's the article. I'm not sure I want to read about losing a pet. How many articles are there? Looks like 57,400,000. Well, I'll be here for weeks. We better be more specific in our search. What did your husband die of? Parkinson's disease. That must have been tough. Especially for David. Me? I could walk around, go up and down stairs, and do my thing in the house. In the end, he was stuck in a hospital bed in the sitting room. There's only so much TV one can watch. I finally bought him the Playboy channel to keep him occupied. After a while, I'd leave the room. <laughs> I got bored with so many fake breasts. Millie types into the computer. So, I've put in grieving for a spouse that died from Parkinson's disease. Who? What? Who died from Parkinson's disease? I never went to college, but I know correct English. You are correct. Put in articles about sex over 60. I'm over 70, but... <laughs> I still have some those old same movable parts. What about the articles on grieving? I've been living that for over 20 years. Show me again how to get the articles. <laughs> See this bar over here? You put your cursor here and type what you want to read. Cursor? That little blinking thing? Got it. First, I'll read the articles about sex. Then I want to go one of those dating sites. You have it all figured out. I've had a lot of t free time to think. Couldn't leave the house, but I could live in my head. I can't tell you how many times I remembered my first time having sex. <laughs> it was with my David in the back of his car. We weren't married, of course, but I knew we would be. So we went all the way. I loved it. Shall I leave you to it then? How do I write to my daughter on it? You mean email. She told me to make up a name. Let's pull up Gmail. She mentioned that. What does the G stand for? Google. What the hell? It's like a whole new language. You'll have to set up an account. Here's where you sign in. Doris starts typing. They want an awful lot of information. Doris types fast. They have to know who's writing. Who? In case you start to research guns or making bombs. I only want a friend. Here's where you put in your email address. Got it. She types in her email choice. Sexy lady. <laughs> My daughter suggested it. Click on it. Nope. Somebody already has that one. Oh, I thought of it. Someone beat you to it. Try something else. Someone has sexy older lady, too. Not fair. I am a sexy older lady. How about this? She types in a name, and Millie blushes. Okay, then. <laughs> Looks like you got that one. Do you have a password in mind? How about... That's a good one. You sure are creative. Okay, see the little pencil? Click on that. Now, write in your daughter's address, where it says to. Doris looks in her bag for a note with her daughter's email address on it, then types. She's going to be so surprised to hear from me. Not so much. Your name will appear on the email. Maybe I should call her and tell her I'm sending an email. No need. It'll go right through. Sent. How long will I have to wait to get an answer? I'll call her. Kind of defeats the purpose, but whatever. I'm going to tear her all the books on grieving or out, so it's sex books for me. You must have a good relationship with your daughter. Always have. Not that many people can talk about sex, never mind with their daughter. We've compared notes since she was 16. Susan's on her fourth marriage. I know all about them. You wouldn't believe what her number three got up to. She's married to a woman now. Really? She says the sex is better than ever. 
You ever tried that? Uh, yes. Oh, do tell. Bet you don't talk to your mother about... No. I'd give it a go if I could find the right woman. Okay, then. I'll leave you to it. I'll call you if I need help. Seems you're the expert on several things. I'll be right here. Millie hurriedly returns to her desk. Doris furiously types into the computer and then shouts at Millie. You're not going to believe this. There are over 55 million articles. Here's a good one. Sex after 60. Positions and orgasms. Shh. Can you keep it down a bit? This is a library. Like no library I've ever been in. Wait till I tell Gloria about this. And Patricia. We'll swing by every day to read up on this stuff. What's that? Your email. From Susan? It worked. When you're finished, don't forget to sign out. Why? Someone could write on your account. That might be fun. I'm not signing out. When they see my name, who knows what will happen? Lights fade. Hey, everybody. It's Gary the producer for Lights Up, Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga's new podcast for playwrights, performers, and patrons of theater. I wanted to see if you've heard about Anchor. Anchor, the platform that's hosting our podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, well, I am happy to be the first to tell you about it. It is free. F-R-E-E. -E. That's right, free. Um, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer uh, or your phone. And Anchor will distribute the podcast that you create so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And you know what else? It doesn't cost you anything, but you can make money from your podcast and you don't even have to have a minimum listenership. That's right. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So, do like we did. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, or anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started and create your podcast. Hello and welcome everyone for another episode of season two lights up again. My name is Dana coming from New York City and this week I am joined once again by the fantastic Shannon. Thank you for having me back. Um, and Shannon and I are so thrilled to be joined by Marge O'Neill Butler, who is the playwright of There's New Life Coming, which you just heard. Um, thanks for joining us, Marge. My pleasure. Really nice to see you both. Yeah, and you're coming from Miami Beach. So we're so excited to be joined by you, especially because we love having female playwrights on. Um, we always want to hear more from them because we know that there aren't as many out there or aren't as many, um, we should say, that have really maybe deserve, uh, gotten the deserved recognition and publication. As a female playwright, uh, how... How do you work your way through this community? Um, and we noticed you have a play that features two women and we have a woman of a certain age, right? We don't often see enough of an aging woman in the arts and media and in theater. Um, so is this a mission of yours that you started out with when you became involved in the arts? It wasn't when I first started. Uh, the first thing I ever did was write plays for children. I ran a summer theater in Vermont for 24 years. And uh, when we were doing the adult plays and musicals, I thought maybe we should do stuff for kids. And we went to see some stuff at a showcase in New York, and I absolutely hated it. So I thought, <laughs> well, I'll try and write my own and see what happens. And we had a very successful run of plays for years while we were doing the summer theater. So that's how I started. But as I, um, I raised two sons and I didn't do much writing then, I was working more as an actor. And then after a while, I decided to go back to it. 
And as you stated, there were not very many parts for mature women. And um, I have a lot of friends who are actresses who, you know, don't get a chance that often. So I started writing plays that had at least one woman over 50 in the part. And um, I've been very successful with that because there is an audience of mature people out there that are real good theater goers and they like seeing themselves on stage. Is that why creating for this demographic is so important to you because it's like close to home? And the I think that's true. I also um, have a lot of really good friends who are marvelous actors. And when I write plays, I write with their voices in mind. Sometimes I even use their real names as my characters and then change the names to protect the innocent later on. I really do feel it's important to write for the, for the older crowd so they get a chance to work. Right. I mean, theater is reflective of society and life. And it seems so strange that we don't include as many women and older people. Uh, you know, it seems so strange when you really sit down and think about it. And and we see a lot, I think, with like streaming. Now we're more control over what we can see. And we see how well inclusivity and diversity is doing with those things. And I'm really hoping that it catches up on stage as well. That's um, true. This year, I also um, produced a program called Lift Every Voice, Black Women Speak, because a year ago summer, I discovered that women are the least produced, but black women are really even less produced. So I ran a, uh, a program. I have a local theater that said it would be a great idea, and we did it in uh, Black History Month. Uh, for a month it ran on uh, YouTube and on their Facebook page, and it was really successful for them. Uh, we had uh, playwrights from all over the country, and I did specify United States writers because I wanted to give them the chance. And we had 14 monologues from every aspect of their lives, and it was really successful. Thank God, we need way more, we need to hear a lot more black female voices. It was produced by a company called Fantasy Theater Factory. They are, they were by and large a company that did only theater for children, but now they're branching out doing all kinds of things. And we just did a recent production of uh, monologues about Father's Day. But the Lift Every Voice to me is the one that I really have my heart in because the women were so delightful, uh, my playwrights, and then it gave uh, six black actresses a real chance to, to play in several different parts. You know, they, they each got to do two or three monologues. So it was a good stretch for them as well. That sounds amazing. Sound like a true woman of the theater. Can you talk to us? We've been talking to all of our playwrights about, um, Sometimes we refer to it as your like gateway drug into theater. How did you first get started into theater? What what was the, the one thing that bit you? Well, I actually started in dance. I have a master's degree in dance. And when I was teaching first at a, co a college, University of Bridgeport, the man who was running the theater department called me and said, well, we have to have lunch you're in dance and I'm in theater and let's get together. And turns out he had seen me someplace and wanted to take me out. <laughs> Not so much about theater and dance, but oh. it worked out because uh, I eventually married him and had two sons. Okay. And we started a theater together in 1971. And um, interestingly enough, our first season and our second season, we had an actress called Meryl Streep in our company. Oh, never so, heard of her. <laughs> no, never heard of her. What is she, an up-and-coming? <laughs> you could tell. She had just graduated from Vassar by, by way of Dartmouth, and you could tell she was just amazing. She'd be in rehearsal, and you'd see her in her character, and then she we'd break for lunch, and she was just Meryl, and she was cursing and carrying on and singing, and then she'd go back into rehearsal, instantly transformed into the character that she was playing. So it, it was fun to watch her. And she also toured with us one winter in Vermont. Can you imagine the snow we went through? Ooh, and then yeah. uh, the second summer she uh, was cast again and then she went off to Yale and 
that's it. But anyway, so uh, I, I learned by doing uh, in theater because I had my dance background. I, I was used to performing in dance. And uh, when you run a theater in the not-for-profit sector, you have you learn that you do everything, including making sure there's toilet paper in the restrooms. You know, it's not a glamorous job, especially when you're first starting out. But we were lucky enough to get a grant to start the theater. And then at the end of the summer, we ended up with a little money. So we said, well, we can do this again. And we ran it for 24 years. Mm-hmm. So that's that was my initial. And I, I worked as a director there. I worked as an actor. I also stage managed, wrote for the Children's Theater Company, and then uh, we moved to Boston during the winter, and I started working in theater in Boston, and a little bit in film. So, wow. so it's been your whole life, really. Uh, it really has been, yeah, because I was in my twenties when um, we first started. So I, I can say actually, most of my professional life, I've worked in theater. Uh, being so well immersed in all the different areas of theater, what are hurdles that you've come across, especially when you're trying to uh, write for women? And are there any pushbacks or any you can maybe give? You know, I really haven't had any. I tend to be very aggressive when I want to do something. And so I learned how to submit. I, I, you don't get your plays done unless you submit them. So I learned where people were putting stuff online about submission opportunities. I, I work with two writing groups. We're supportive of each other in terms of um, helping each other with each piece we do. Uh, so I think that, that really helps if you're aggressive and get your stuff out there because it doesn't do any good to have it sit in your computer. And sometimes I write for a, a given uh, theater. For instance, there's a company in uh, Binghamton, New York called the No Theater, K-N-O-W. And every year they pick three uh, pieces of art, uh, playwrights. You pick one of those pieces of art and you write a play about it. And so to me, that's a great challenge. I love that. And um, I've had, um, I've submitted three times and I've had it produced twice. And I've submitted again this year because they had another challenge and I loved one of the pieces of art. So, you know, that's another way of um, keeping your writer going is to just really look out for opportunities. Plus, I still take class. Uh, I didn't study as a playwright when I was younger. Uh, I did sort of seat of the pants kind of thing. But for the past, since the pandemic, last summer, I started taking class with Jeffrey Sweet, who's a playwright. He's had a lot of work done, especially in Chicago professionally. And he's a heck of a good teacher. And he's a font of information. So each class is so interesting. You get great feedback from him. And he has a technique that I've never heard of before. And um, he gives you ideas about writing. And then you bring your stuff in and you get critiqued. And most of the time he likes what I write. so. That's good. So um, I, I, I pretty much look for activity because when the pandemic shut us all down, I, I was not about to feel sorry for myself. And I had this opportunity to write. And I think I wrote, I know I wrote two one-act plays. I wrote 14 short plays and nine monologues. And I haven't counted recently. I think there's a few more because I just needed to stay in touch so I didn't lose my mind about, you know, not being able to go out. Yeah, I think that's how many of us felt. There was, um, Gary and I have talked about it a little bit, and that was actually the birth of this podcast um, came out of saying, okay, well, what can we do? What what can we do now to, to keep this theater alive, um, not just in our hearts, but, but as a community? And, you know, it's so interesting to hear that you started mostly as a dancer and moved into running this theater company because something that um, Christy and Chelsea, our other co-hosts, and Shannon and I have discussed with the playwrights is playwriting can be one of the most solitary um, parts of the theater, right? Almost everybody else comes in as a collective. Oftentimes when you're doing dance, there's a company around you or 
you know, the director is working with the actors or the, the production team or the stage man, right? But playwriting is often done. You, you do, we can't do it without you and your work first, right? Um, so how did that feel as someone who, you know, had created a company with her husband and came from this ensemble-based background? How did that feel to transition to, to writing, to something a little more solitary? Well, I guess um, I never have minded being by myself. I'm not one of these people that requires to be entertained all the time. So I think my uh, just being like that, uh, it, it didn't feel odd to me to be by myself, to write, to go off in a corner and do that. And um, actually when the pandemic came, I was also taking part in some um, group uh, playwriting workshops uh, on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights. And so when the pandemic came, we were like, we can't stop. So we discussed about Zoom. We all chipped in for a Zoom account and we kept going. And then we discovered no traffic, no rush hour, no gas, no wear and tear on the car. We loved this because we already knew that it was a great group of people that would give a good response. And it just became perfect to be able to do it online. And so with taking class one day a week and having these two um, playwriting groups, I was busy because you, you, you don't want to not bring something. You mm -hmm. want to keep having your words heard. So, And I also, um, there's a playwright, she's female, Lauren Gunderson, who is the most produced playwright in the United States. And she has a Facebook page that just absolutely, she did workshops all free. She interviewed people. She had a session on dramaturgy. So I would tune into her Facebook page. And then the National Theater at that time was allowing you to go on and watch the recording of their wonderful plays at the National Theater. So I watched a myriad of those. So I, I didn't have time <laughs> to feel that I was not participating in the world. And I, I want to switch gears a little bit and let's talk about There's New Life Coming. I have, well, first, I, I also, I miss the card catalog system. So I instantly connected with Doris <laughs> as soon as she mentioned that. I was just like, yes, why did we get rid of that? <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> And um, I, I don't know where it came from because I don't know anybody with um, the disease that the, the husband died of. I don't really know any librarians, but I made it up. <laughs> well, I will say, Marge, after chatting with you for just a few moments, it doesn't surprise me that you created such a joyful um, and willing to learn character in Doris because to hear you talk about I signed up for these classes and I, I joined these workshops. You know, you sound like a woman who's always ready to be learning, to continue to learn. And that's the biggest characteristic for me that stuck out about Doris is that it was, there was no, it, it was really beautiful because there was no shame. And like, how does this work? I want to send my daughter an email. Oh, okay. Like, and the, just the thrill and the joy and the no shame, because I think oftentimes women and we are not, especially elderly people were not often kind to trying to help usher in these new changes. And just, I found it really refreshing. So no shame. So there must be a little bit of you in there somewhere. I guess I'm a bit naughty. Cause Doris, <laughs> I thought I was a bit naughty looking for books on sex over 60. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, it, it came to my head. I did a little research, you know, if there are books so, on sex over 60 and yes there are Good. and um so yeah and uh, interestingly enough uh there's a theater here in miami called city theater and they are known for the short play festival that they do and this play was one of the winners last year uh and we had a reading of it and, um, the two actors that i originally had in my they cast them so i could hear the play the way i first heard it in my head so that was kind of fun. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I did initially laugh when Doris changed from the grieving straight into the sex articles because it was just such a left turn. But 
she and she even mentioned this a few lines later like she's already been through the grieving process when you have a partner who's going through a long-term illness whether it's parkinson yeah. alzheimer's cancer what have you and she's That's ready right. for you know to just jump in and try something new we didn't have to grieve with her we were already celebrating with her yes that she could do and i feel like there's so many people that can relate to doris in that way because i feel like there's sometimes um people who don't understand that haven't been in situations like that with how can you move on so quickly but that's not really it that's not really what's happening yeah i love the expression you used about celebrating because mm. she she finally has a bit of freedom and she knows she has life left so um she goes she goes after it which i love about the character and i also like the librarian because she just hanging in there, not telling her truth until she tells her truth about her partner. So yeah, that was exactly. Yeah. I, I did love that too, about the, the mother daughter relationship that Doris has in her. We often, um, maybe I'm over generalizing and I don't want to speak for others, but I think in media portrayal and art portrayal, we've done, we've done a disservice by creating the stereotype of a very like conservative shocked, older person who right. doesn't really know what's going on. And, and I think every time that we break that stereotype, it's so helpful. And, and it wasn't done just for comedy's sake here, which I think is really beautifully crafted, Marge, is that we can often also make the elderly person the butt of the joke, right? That's right. And, and that's not what's happening here. And that's what's so delightful about this play um, that Shannon and I were discussing. We're like, yay! it's women, there's an elderly woman, like, it's just, it was just so wonderful, and, and I, yeah, Shannon hit the nail on the head when she said celebrated. It was really something we could celebrate, and we were happy to have it be a, a part of our season this year. What was the email address that she got accepted? I'm not telling. Because yeah. I kept I, waiting I for that to down. come out. So you did have something in mind. It wasn't just oh, yeah. all up for interpretation. Okay. Oh no, Marge's naughty little secret, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Marge, so. Um, you mentioned that you uh, have been taking class and you submit for festivals. Um, and this particular play you wrote with actors' voices in mind. In general, when you're writing, do you prefer when there is some sort of prompt or theme you also mentioned the uh the theater in Bing binghamton that does the like artwork inspired theater do you prefer that or do you like it when you hear a character's voice on the wind that c catches your ear i like both and it's interesting because i have a good friend who i started this playwriting group with she hates prompts she says her mind goes blank but i that doesn't happen to me i I write down every thought that I have about the prompt and then something jumps out at me and I can go with it. But I also, you know, I hear people talk and I write down what they say sometimes. Like I just wrote a play um, about uh, two women and uh, the, one of the women has a new beau and she's invited this guy over to dinner and Rose, the really annoying one, says, you went in your kitchen? And my friend said that to me the <laughs> other day. And I thought, I'm going to use that. <laughs> I love that. That's a, it, that's a really great tip. Um, you know, we try to really focus on this podcast about playwriting and playwriting process because so often focuses on actors or directors. Um, and that's a great tip that you just kind of like threw in there for any um, writers listening is when you get a prompt and if you are stuck by a prompt, I love that you said you write down everything that comes to mind about that. Yes. Um, is that like just free thinking, you know, any phrases, thoughts, objects, that's how you no, do it? Free writing, free writing, just any thought that comes into my head. And um, if I think of a character, I write down the character and the type of person they are. And I just keep a running list. And before I know it, I'm writing the play. And I keep everything that I need in my life on notes. I start the play and I run it and play. And then I copy and paste it into my final draft and off I go. So, wow. um, yeah, it's fun. But some people don't like writing to prompts and they're not successful with it. 
I've had I've had some success with it, which is fun. Yeah, I had a really good year, uh, mostly readings because we're we were in the pandemic, but I had lots and lots of plays produced this year, so I felt very positive about that, um, encouraging me to keep writing. Mm. So. That's one thing we have been hearing from our playwrights is that um, while they haven't been able to have things done in person, because of this new accessibility we have through Zoom, so many more readings have been produced. So it's actually been rather fruitful for playwrights, which is very exciting. I had a play uh, produced in Hong Kong, and it, it's called Baby Fever. And I was invited to the rehearsals on Zoom. The director and the producer were in Hong Kong. The two actors were in Singapore and I was in Miami Beach. So it was nine o'clock at night for them and nine in the morning for me. And I got to watch every rehearsal and I got to watch the recording of it. And it ran on their YouTube channel for a month. Oh, no, actually it ran two months, that one did. So, you know, to say I had a production in Hong Kong is great, but then to be a part of it, to watch it, and the director was very open and asked, you know, for input, and uh, the actresses were great, so I really didn't say very much. They just nailed it. It's a story about one woman who has three kids, and her sister comes to visit and is talking about how she wants to get pregnant. And the one with three kids is like, no, 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 you don't want to do this. You want my son, Barney? He's already toilet trained, you know, so. So that was just a great experience to have that happen. That's amazing. Yeah. And not something I, that might have been able to happen had we never, not. never. Yeah. Exactly. So in that way, the pandemic has been very good for me because it's opened out a whole bunch of new places uh, where my work, work has been seen. How often have you got to sit in either in person or through technology on someone working on one of your plays? Now that we have Zoom, I've been invited to more. Uh, but now that it's opening up, I've been invited to less because they're not on Zoom. So uh, I thought it was really useful to me to be able to sit in on rehearsals as a playwright because then you hear what doesn't work and you can adjust a word here or there if it's if an actor stumbles over something you've written you know that it's the mouth is not working right so you change it a little bit but i have traveled when i especially when i was first starting out when i first got my plays accepted and we've talked a lot about your writing with uh female characters more mature mm -hmm. female characters but you mentioned that you started out writings for children, and I'd love for you to speak on that a little bit, because um, especially to any of our playwrights listening, because I find that it's really difficult to find good material for young people um, that is either not watered down from an original, you know, like adult version of something, a junior version of something, right? Or completely condescending to young people. Uh, how did you approach that? And what were your philosophies when you were writing for children? But I've always loved story theater style. And when we went to all the schools and we traveled the entire state, we traveled in New Hampshire and we traveled, traveled in upstate New York, we would just bring our stanchions and our backdrop and boxes, create crates, and the actors would transform and be various characters. One show was based on Aesop's Fables, so there were six fables that uh, the actors did, and they would transform right in front of the children. Another play I wrote was called Everybody's Different. And it was, um, there were four clowns, and they each had a clown costume. There was the, the blue clown, and the this clown, and the that clown, talking about um, bullying. So um, that, that was before bully, bullying even became a thing. I didn't know I was writing about that at the time. But individual differences is what it was about. So everything was done in story theater style so we could travel. We even got to go to the Caribbean. We oh, were wow. booked, uh, a, a company of four of us went to the Caribbean and performed in St. John, St. Croix, and St. Thomas. So that was exciting. Mm -hmm. 
Not a what bad, was so, not a bad gig. <laughs> not a bad gig. But what was so interesting, a lot of the schools were run by the Catholic Church. And we'd be backstage and we'd say, isn't there an audience? You know, they bring the kids in. But they were there. They were just behaving. They were quiet. That's when schools had disciplined children. I don't think that's the case anymore. So uh, the children's theater style uh, just seemed to work really well because when we would go to a school, they, they didn't have theaters. They just had cafetoriums and mm -hmm. gymnasiums. And we would set up the stanchions and we'd tape out a 16 by 16 square and the kids would be seated on three, three sides and we had carpet down the downstage corners so the actors could enter and exit that way. And this was in the late 70s, early 80s. And in Vermont, you were lucky if you had a TV, number one. And if it, if it played, it was mostly static. So this was all new to all the children of Vermont and New Hampshire. They had never seen live performances. So that was, we got a grant from the state to do it. And um, we pretty much supported ourselves, though, because we charged the schools a nominal, a nominal amount. And um, they would do two shows a day, maybe, sometimes one. But it, it was a great, great thing that we did for the state. And then, of course, everybody now has cable. They wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. But they had uh, television with the, you know, aerials trying to mm -hmm. get service. And, you know, in Vermont, it's still very rural, just over 500,000 population in the state itself. So, um, yeah. So I lived in Vermont for about 12 years, and that's where I brought up my two sons. And uh, we lived on the top of a mountain, uh, a mile and a half to our mailbox. So my sons learned to be very independent, playing outside and going off in the woods. And they had a rule that they had they couldn't go very far they had to be able to hear my voice to call them so yeah. that was an interesting part of my life yeah certainly cultivated their imaginations i'm sure it did indeed yeah, yeah. and they're both very adventuresome now although they're both married with kids now finally they finally got married <laughs> well i heard that mom that grandma dig in there finally yeah. she said yeah absolutely <laughs> finally yeah one of them has two kids and the other one has three a set of triplets so it's it's an exciting life for both sets of parents because mm -hmm. they're old, older dads now you know because they waited so long to get married i always love to hear when people um how they venture into children's theater. We've had a couple different playwrights talk about that. Um, and it's always fascinating to me because it is so important. Um, and, and one of our previous playwrights, Donald Luftus, talked about how that was his gateway in, just seeing a show as a child. And it's it's so, so important. Um, so yeah. I'm sure you impacted a lot of youth in Vermont with that. I'm sure it did. I really, I'm sure. And we had, besides Meryl Streep, we had other actors that came through us that are working professionally now. You might not know their name, but I see them. I know that they're working. Actually, he worked in our children's theater company. It was Timothy Busfield. He loved it, and he still talks about it. How exciting that must be to see these people move on, and then you see them later on in life and be like, oh, I worked with them. And Right. It really is, because, um, you know, not everybody's going to be a star face it, it's not enough parts. But when you see somebody that has really good talent and it's and you watch how they get along with other cast members, how they take direction, you just know they're headed to be professionals in the field. How do you fit writing into your life? How do you make room for that? I'm not the disciplined writer type that sits down every morning at six o'clock in the morning with a cup of coffee. I write when I have an idea or when somebody says something and it prompts something. But I do write a lot. I just don't sit in disciplined clumps. Sounds like you're a pretty intuitive writer. Like when you know you're ready to write, you go for it. Is that that's, fair? I think that's true, yeah. Um, I, get, I get ideas and I write them down in my little book, my little note thing. And um, when I have a chance, I, I try to flesh them out. And also having the 
class that I took with Jeffrey Sweet, he was giving us an assignment every week. You weren't to bring in a full play or even a 10-minute play, but just, you know, three or four pages on the idea. But sometimes I just wrote the play because mm -hmm. I got so into what I was writing. Um, so an example is um, that you use an object in your play. So I wrote a play about a woman whose sister died of cancer and she had to go and get her uh, a test to see if she had the gene, the BRCA gene, which is um, a part of, um, if you're Jewish, sometimes you can get the BRCA gene. And so the husband has been away and he comes back and he said, did you find out? And she said, I got a letter. And it, what did it say? And she said, I haven't opened it. So that the conflict of she's afraid to open it, she's afraid to find out what her future is. He wants to know, and he starts helping her get through it. He, he takes the letter out of the envelope and puts it on the table. And she's, you know, if you open it, I'll never forgive you. So then he tears it into pieces. He said, well, we just won't look at it. And so he said, maybe we could look at it one at a time. She swipes it off and onto the floor. And he comes down on the floor and he said, I think we need to look at this. You know, this is a short version of the play. And when she agrees and one by one, they look at the scrap of letter to see if they can find out whether she's safe or not. We could talk to you all day long. It's so fascinating to hear about all of this and how you put females first and women of color. And we so appreciate your championing all of that. Um, we do love to give our playwrights just a brief moment to kind of plug themselves. Okay. Yes, I'm on the new play exchange. And for those of you who are interested in theater but may not be a playwright, it costs so little money a year to be a reader. And there are over 40,000 plays on the New Play Exchange, including mine. I have about 50 on there. You can apply to be a reader. There's no, all you have to do is pay like your $9 a year and you can read any plays you want. And I think that's a great thing, you know, if, if you want to see what's out there. And for playwrights, it's absolutely essential. Yes, your plays are able to be read by anybody. They can download them, but they've had very little uh, experience with people stealing the plays and producing them. I don't have a, I had a website, but I decided not to keep it because the New Play Exchange is so great and it's a great resource. Fun. And we do have three questions we ask all of our playwrights um, at the very end. We ask them all the same question, just a little, we've gotten to know you so well, but we always like to, to know a little more. So um, Shannon, take it away with the first question. Okay. If you could pick one word brings you some sort of joy, what would that word be? Sons. My oh. sons. And is there a place that is most important or nostalgic or memorable uh, or joyful for you? I'm a real Anglophile. I've spent a lot of time in England and Scotland and Ireland. And I at one time had a, a flat that I owned for like 20 years in London. So I used to go over and spend like 30 days and see 30 plays. And then I would rent it for a while and then I'd go back over and see 30 plays in 30 days. So um, England is my very special place. I have friends there. As a matter of fact, there's a couple of organizations on the web about renting cottages and I get emails every day about cottages in the Cotswolds and in the Lake District. And I'm just chomping at the bit to go back to England and just, you know, be in a cottage and write and walk to the pub for dinner, that kind of thing. Very soon, very soon. I hope that we can I all know. get back on planes and do that. Yeah. Um, and finally, is there an object that brings you happiness? I would have to say that I wear two gold bracelets on my wrist. And both the boys, um, when my oldest son was born, I got this one. And when my younger son was born, I got this one. And so they are really, um, I don't know, it's my connection to my boys, no matter where they are. 
and where they live. And they both traveled extensively, even before the internet. So I, I, I would touch my bracelet and will them to contact me. And almost always it worked. I had one boy who traveled around the entire world on a sailing ship, you know, as a, as a grunt seaman. And um, when he would get to some place, he would contact me. But yeah, my gold bracelets, I would have to say, is my treasure. And I almost Excellent. made it through the episode without crying. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so sweet, Marge. Um, thank you so much for sharing that part of yourself and, and your play and all of you with us. We really, really appreciate it. And like we started out saying, I mean, I'm always one to champion some more women on our podcast, especially playwrights. So thank you. Yes. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk to both of yes, you. Yes, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you, Marge. Thank you. Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theatre company located in southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. Graphics by Jamie Goodnight. And Casey Keelan as the associate producer. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ETC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, please visit our website for details. Or you can become a monthly subscriber on Patreon and get access to exclusive content. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. Lights Up is hosted by Anchor, a Spotify company. The easiest way to make a podcast.